You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. These are edited audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every week on Thursdays at brett.live. This podcast is sponsored by my Patreon supporters. I'd like to thank all of you paid supporters that made this show such a pleasure to do. You can get more info and follow my updates for free at patreon.com slash brettfisher. This week, my guest is friend and Docker captain, Nermal Mehta, and we dive deep into using GitHub's newest beta product, Copilot. I love this episode because we had so much fun trying to misuse a machine learning AI in Visual Studio Code. I've edited the recording down from a full demo video that we did on YouTube. The link is in the show notes. But I left a lot of that in here because I felt even in an audio format that describing how it's working real time is worth the listen. So we go through long theories of where this AI is going, how it might be misused, and what we think the future holds for having a robot complete your sentences in code all day long. Now on with the show. So I'm excited to have on the show today a friend of mine that has been here several times before, Docker Captain Nermal Mehta. Hello. Hello, Brett. So we met years ago, Docker Captain Program. Those of you might have seen him on the show before. We talked together the last two Docker cons, right? Yeah. Yeah. I miss seeing you in person, Brett. Yeah. We gotta, hopefully 2022 is when we can see each other again. What about your local DevOps days? Today is RDU, April 2022 at the McKinnon Center. Check it out on DevOps Days. Org. There's likely another DevOps Days conference near you if you're international. There's a ton of them around the world. They're all run by volunteers and it's a nonprofit kind of organization. What are we exploring today? Yeah, we're going to talk about and demo and play, try to maybe not try to break. I don't know if we can break it or not, but try to <laughs> get some funny stuff out of GitHub Copilot. And I got I was lucky enough to get in the beta a little over a week ago week and a half ago. Not, I don't, not beta, technical preview. No one does betas anymore. It's either preview or technical preview or early access. And then we, I mentioned <laughs> th this Copilot thing and I was using it with Terraform, with uh, Docker, Kubernetes, all these things that are DevOps related, not specifically programming, a lot of YAML and HCL, stuff like that. And I, I was finding it mostly useful. And I put up a tweet, which I don't have, but it got a little traction of people saying, I didn't even think that you, that would be a benefit of this, that it would, it was more of a code thing. But the reality is this thing will just, it'll recommend anything. It'll finish any line, whether it's a markdown file or no matter what language you're in. It, so anyway, for those of you that don't know, it's exactly that. You're AI pair programmer. Pro so how do you get it started with it? So great question. I started by clicking the sign up, you get on the waiting list and you wait. I, I don't know how long I wait. I can't remember when I signed up, but I waited a while, at least a week or two. And then you get access to a, a repo of documentation. And then there is this co-pilot thing that runs as a service. So this is technically a okay. service we're all using on the internet. I think it's, they call it the OpenAI Codex, which sounds like something straight out of Matrix or Terminator. <laughs> I don't know what it is. But, and then the only editor that you can use it in is VS Code. So, well, I'm sure that eventually others okay. can probably build into other IDEs, but the only one that mm -hmm. works in today is VS Code. And you can use it with your local VS Code or Code Spaces, which I've talked about here before, but it's an extension that you add in that basically provides access 
from their AI service to write in your screen or make suggestions. And okay. you ha- you and then you just start writing. And if you ju- if I jump over and just show you, it's this tiny little button. I don't know if people can see it on the screen, but this tiny little button down oh, that is tiny, in the tiny. bottom. And yeah. it start yeah. And once so once you've added the extension, just called Copilot. And of course, uh, if you're not in the beta, sorry, technical preview, you won't. Even though you can add the extension, it won't work. It'll say you don't have access yet. I tried to do that <laughs> and it says you don't have access. But once it's there, it, I think it starts deactivated so it'll look red. Let me go back to an actual file. I'm just gonna create a simple file to see if it'll. So maybe while you're doing that. So fundamentally, Copilot is a code completion suggestion tool mm-hmm. that's been trained using machine learning off of a corpus of all public or open source right. or whatever GitHub repositories are out there. Yeah. So that's some great distinctions about. So there's all these great questions on their FAQ, which you can just <laughs> use it. You can see it go at copilot.github.com. But yeah, it's only on public source code. Their, their, their ML input is just open source code, billions of lines, as well as human language. So it can complete human sentences as well as code sentences, if that's a thing, code statements. Mm-hmm. It is not a search engine, it is a code synthesizer. So only about 0.1, they say about 0.1% of the time, it will give you the exact input or output rather that it's got as an input. So it is not just recreating the exact functions that it copied from open source code. So a lot of people are like, there's, there's comments about, we're not going to get into the license, the licensing and legality thing of it. But yeah. People have said, we're, you're stealing other people's open source. No, because it's not pasting in open source. It's synthesizing based on actual intelligent learning that it did. And it gives you options. You can use keyboard shortcuts to rotate through its suggestions because it's basically making these things up on the fly. I just want to make sure we're, we're very clear because obviously this is a very new thing that just mm-hmm. was like less than a month old at this point. Yep. Or, and we don't know what folks are used to that are on uh, watching us right now, but it is not, it, it's not the equivalent of searching on Stack Overflow for a code and then copying and pasting that in based on what you were typing at the cursor. It's not that. But it's that in the sense that it's generating what it thinks is the likely completion for what you're trying to type, what you have t- typed already. Right. Correct? <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing is it's, yeah, it's not uploading your code and analyzing it. There's no, it's a one way thing coming down. It's not uploading your private code. It's not learning on your project or other code. It only is Got in it. the file you're in. So the only file it can see and analyze for context, because there's an important point we'll get into about context. How does it know what to do? Right. It's all about context. And it will only complete a line or a function. It won't write a whole file. It won't write a whole class. It won't generate from scratch the entire manifest of mm-hmm. Kubernetes. Mazar and, and chat says, let's work on Kubernetes. It'll work on any file that I, I, so far I've given it a bunch of different files, Terraform, Docker, Kubernetes, Markdown. There's lots of other channels out there that are showing coding languages. So Go, Node, so JavaScript, and all those work. So I, my theory is if it's an open source file in some sort of code repo, it will help you in that file. So yes, 
it doesn't think of it, I don't think, as this is Terraform, this is Kubernetes. I don't actually, they don't, the engine's not public, (laughs) at least that I'm aware of. So I don't believe that it understands the, it's looking at file type for me. It's looking at what I'm doing in the file. And then if I have nothing in the file, it's not very helpful yet. So So that word understand is very tricky when you talk about machine learning, because yeah. What does a machine learning model actually understand? So yeah. to your point, it still needs some input. So the context of the file that you're in, plus whatever you've typed in that file, is provided as input to this model. And then it returns some kind of generated material with some kind of probability yep. associated with that. Yep. And then the option to, to paste that in right? To, to accept that output from that model into your file directly. Yeah. So it's always suggest, suggesting. And so if you don't hit tab, you you can just ignore it. And, and that's the tricky part for me over the last week is I have all these other extensions that provide templating and stuff. So it sometimes is not e- easy to tell, wait, was that Copilot or was that my fu- extension functionality for creating a deployment? Because I can do that with Kubernetes files and I can just generate a template if I hit the right keyboard shortcuts. But let's do let's do a couple and you can ask questions while we go because I think... Um, yeah, just to close the loop on that. Yeah. Th- what's another... IntelliSense is something else that maybe some of the folks would be used to using in an IDE. And IntelliSense was is pretty awesome. Or yeah. like code completion kind of tooling that you see in IDEs, JetBrains or VS Code or uh, Visual Studio or whatnot. So this is in that... This seems an evolution of that kind of tooling, correct? Or yeah. that kind of feature or functionality of an IDE. I would say that in some ways it's better than IntelliSense. In some ways it's worse. So that little red means it's not enabled. I'm going to enable it globally, but you can enable it for specific file types or whatever. And I'm in a Docker file. So notice that the way this works is that it's gray. So if you see gray text show up in front of my cursor, that is Copilot. If there's anything else you see, pop-ups or squigglies, none of that's Copilot. That's all other things, spell checkers or things that are actually language-specific intelligent reminders, because that's all a part of VS Code, right? There's all this other stuff built in, syntax uh, things that, and Copilot is not though. So it's only going to show gray text in front of my cursor. So if I just start typing, so notice what I maybe could do here is say, start from uh, Ubuntu... Oops. I'm going <laughs> to... It was already starting to... Oh, there we go. So look at that. So what's interesting is I notice a lot of times when there's version-based things, it's old versions. It's never the latest version. So it's providing that line, right? Probably because older versions are statistically more... Right. More, there's more of them, right? Yeah, exactly. Yes. It, so it doesn't have a concept of, oh, that's an old version. I might want to pick the newest version. That's so all- it doesn't understand that. <laughs> yeah, I keep saying that word. I don't know what that really means. Yeah, there isn't some sort of logic gate in there that says yeah. if it's a number and it seems to be many numbers, pick the newest number. So it's, I, I want to, and, and this might not be true, it might not be true now and it might not be true in the future, but it seems Copilot does not have a semantic understanding of that language's structure, the semantics of a Docker file or any kind of language. You would think so, but... It's, 
We're gonna, I'm going to show some examples that would question that. Okay. That's a, yeah, there you <laughs> go. This is perfect. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. This is where the fuzzy line is. Yeah. Respect all this. Go ahead. Go, I, I think that one of the big questions I wanted to answer over the last week was, will this, two things. One, does this replace people? And in no way, no. And it doesn't make a, a junior person smarter. Not really. Because the thing you have to do with every one of these examples is you have to know whether what is suggesting will work. Or just try it and see if it'll work. Because if I don't know what Ubuntu version is, the, the, the latest one, it's not telling me that. Now, I can hit option bracket back and forth, and, and it's not giving me any other suggestions. So it's only suggesting that thing. So I can type 2004 because I know better. And then I can say, okay, so now I'm going to copy. Now, here's the thing. It only starts suggesting on either you adding a comment to give it direction. So that's the context it needs to know what you want next. Or you start a line, and it specifically says function name and function options in, in their documentation. But again, we're not using it for programming here. I might just say copy in source code and see, okay, yeah. So because earlier I was typing in copy space and waiting for it to suggest what I want to put in. But again, this is wrong because I don't have a code directory or I guess right. I could, I guess it could be an opinionated way to say, yeah, I'm going to put the cop, the code in a code directory. So, Maybe it's so a problem. Basically my when you, kind of when to, you wrote copy right. and you were waiting, it was too broad. Yeah. Right, there we go. Yeah. So if I give so it better it was, direction, it knows to have uh, better output. Which in a way makes you, it forces you to make good comments. <laughs> Honestly, part of me thinks that this might actually yield us better documentation in code in line yeah, because if you're lazy and you just don't want to have to copy the, copy the line or type the line in, yeah, how good a documentation do I have to create so that the AI can then generate my code for me? So really, I'm just a so, great describer of what I want. I'm going to send this into the void, but I wonder if this was hooked into a Jira ticket, if it could just read the user story and then paste in the code yeah so see it's yeah every time if i said build script it it, it runs build.sh if i say run npm build it knows npm install but this is for a docker file which isn't like isn't necessarily the target functionality let me uh, say this properly yeah i think copilot was initially created mostly just for actual code right versus you're using it for infrastructure DevOps kind of stuff, which it can do, it seems, but it might not be the target kind right. of uh, In my Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we may not be the exact, but the thing is, they say that it processes natural language as well as code files. And to me, what's the difference between, to me, I don't know, I wonder if to a machine, the difference between a Docker file and a JavaScript file is that JavaScript has functions and this doesn't. But other than that, it's still suggesting logic. I don't know. I but I found it very helpful, but it's also incredibly, there are bad examples. I'd say 50% of the lines I have to edit that it gives me. Interesting. And it's only, and in I, my world, it's only giving me one line at a time. If I'm doing YAML, yeah. it's one line at a time. So if we but do for, like- If you're doing code though, it's, it can, like I've seen demos of it where it's giving you full function blocks in code, correct? Yes. Yeah, so okay. in code, it will give you write the function name and then the function options, and it will start, and then it will give you an entire function to do that. And they show mm -hmm. that on their website. Actually, we just go back to their little demo here. Which, by the way, I I, I realize that these are interactive. That's that's mind blowingly <laughs> that's, cool. That's super cool graphics <laughs> on a website. But yeah, so if you can see them and you can say replay, 
it will you write a function name with some and, and then it yeah that's what it gives you so it does understand the semantics of the variables that you were using to describe certain things so it's in between templating IntelliSense and backed with the training from a bunch of different repos. You could argue that the value is continually declining. As I'm basically writing the exact thing in longer format in a comment, <laughs> I probably should just write the line. So far for me, it's questionable value in a Docker file, but that's honestly because I live in Docker files all day and I know everything about them. So it's not showing me anything I don't already know, right? Where it comes into valuable, and, and to me, it became more valuable when I was doing Terraform this last week, and I was using specific Terraform providers that I didn't have the mem I didn't have all of the different values and options memorized, and it in at least fifty percent of the cases it did. So I was looking at documentation less because it was suggesting something that I was like, oh yeah, that's the thing I want, yeah, and we can do that demo next if anybody wants that one, or we can look at a deployment because that one's also interesting. But let's do deployment. And then let's do the Terraform. So, got it. Create a Kubernetes deployment of Nginx. Let's do deployment. Let's do Terraform. We can try to do a live share. How about that? After that. Okay. So, here's an interesting thing. The very first line is wrong. So, what I need to do is what I've found with Kubernetes YAML is because there's no other context in the file, I have to start seeding it a little bit at the beginning. So, I have to say, um, let me give that there. So, a comment won't cut it. <laughs> <laughs> right, a comment on because again, I'm not even sure if it's reading the file name or file type because I'm not actually sure that my see this just knows YAML, mm -hmm. it doesn't know that it's Kubernetes YAML yet, so it could be part right. of the problem of the so API version. And most people aren't putting a comment at the top of their Kubernetes YAML saying right. this is a Kubernetes YAML, they aren't, which they we totally if they should had be. done, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but if they had, this might have picked that up already, right. Now That's notice it's, it's, it, it is providing me a <laughs> Kubernetes extension here. It's the wrong one for a deployment, but apps v1, and then okay, so there we go. Now it's got me a right, a correct line. That is the correct line for a deployment, and then okay, that one is correct. So all I'm doing is hitting tab and then enter, and now. Okay, I'll call it Nginx deployment. That's that's the correct format. Now, oh, wait, shit. Okay, so notice this pop-up, which I've actually never seen it do this before. Open okay. Copilot. Okay, so the next and the previous are the keyboard shortcuts I've been using for showing me the examples, except is the tab that I've been hitting. Open yeah. Copilot gives you this other window that will give you up to 10 solutions for that thing. Wow. So... If I, it's essentially, what if I accepted every line it gave me? So it goes through the spec. It, do you want to move our bubbles? I think it's being oh, blocked. Oh, sorry. But yeah, let me, yeah. I can just move that over here. So this is the co-pilot suggestion. So Whoa. it's giving me 10 of 10 suggestions. Let me in there, fill out the whole thing at once. So I have to go line by line, but this is essentially what it would be giving me. What I also noticed again was versions were really out of date. I think the first version it gave me when I first tried this, it was like 1.9. So it's a really old version of Nginx. But then it's also giving me a service, which is not what I asked for, but also you would normally need. Uh -huh. So what it's actually giving me here is these dashes are the breaker between the solutions. So that's a complete solution. Yeah, machine learning models typically work on how close they are to whatever survival or fitness goal that they gave it. 
right? To And you're already exceeding my understanding of these things. So. Yeah. So in order to train it, they use some of the data and then they probably compared it to something. And then the likelihood that it's close to whatever that they were training it off of is probably the order that this is in. Yeah. But tried and true, garbage in, garbage out. So if most of the Kubernetes deployment YAML on GitHub open source repos isn't written right yeah. <laughs> or has errors in it, then it will likely give you that error back. <laughs> so it's, I don't know, I feel like we're at the child development stages of this AI, Absolutely. right? The thing, like, this is just, uh, for lack of a better term, brute machine learning model. If this was used as a base and then there was some IntelliSense or semantic, more classic kind of rules engine yep. intelligence based, then it becomes even more powerful. If right. it was fed through there and then fed through some constraints, then it could get really much more useful. Of course, this could be total gibberish. Again, only about 50% of the time is it giving me what I really wanted. Uh -huh. And that's on a per line estimate. That, and, and their official documentation, they say that 45% of the time it's correct the first time. <laughs> so the project this week that I took some screenshots from, I just want to show some screenshots real quick and then we can dive into some questions if people have them. I've been trying to keep up. But over here, this was real world stuff I was doing this week. So this is a Terraform file outputs. So this is me. It's almost boilerplate stuff that's the inputs and outputs of Terraform, a lot of other things. You're making a values file, you're making an outputs file, and it's all very repetitive. But again, this is not able yet to even look at my project or other files, much less the rest of my own code, whether it's open source or other projects. I can imagine in years from now, because they talked about that this is just the beginning and they're doing other things. Mm -hmm. And I can see where you let it opt in to maybe some sort of area, so some sort of secure area that they will analyze your code and layer that opinion on top of their own generic opinion so that it mm -hmm. can look at my other files, my other repos and understand the way that maybe I do things, my two, two spaces or four spaces and my tabs. I can see how eventually it, I have my own actual personal one where this is very generic, it's only to the file I'm in. So uh, I'm gonna play this little video, but what I'm doing is I'm just adding simple output variables. And so I'm typing output and then I'm just giving it a name because I have to start with this context of what am I wanting to name? And so mm -hmm. I type in instance, uh, I think this one's architecture. And then I give it the curly brackets. And then I hit enter and then it says correctly the value from another file that it can't see. And then it's giving me the correct description for the thing that I want. And so I basically was able to go through this output file very quickly without having, because I had just created the, right. the other file stuff and I knew the names. Now, what I believe is doing here is it's looking at the value names that I'm creating so far and determining based on that. But it was right way more than 50% of the time, just because I was creating a consistent value name. But these are all variables that I'm just pulling in. And I, I have a very consistent way of naming them. And so it was able to figure that out and do that. So that's a great example I thought of. I think when I was, I think the tweet I was talking about was about this thing. And I was saying 80% of this stuff that I'm typing in, I'm not typing. And that was on day one. That was the first day I was using it last week. And I didn't know so, anything about it. I didn't know, I didn't know how it worked. I didn't understand it. I didn't know all the keyboard shortcuts. I just turned it on and this is what it was doing. I think if there's any 
folks out there that are working on new open source tooling or any, any kind of command line tool or configuration file and uh, working on the user experience of that or developer experience, I think it'll be very interesting to use Copilot to see what the, because because of how it's probably trained, there's a leaning toward what the majority of the content on the files that it's that it uses input did. Mm-hmm. Whether those are right or wrong can be determined by running through Copilot and seeing what the typical errors occur. And that could be very valuable to adapting your developer experience for whatever tool that you're creating. Because if you see that some majority of the repos out there are wrongly, you know, are, are incorrectly using your YAML configuration file or your interface, that probably highlights a bad developer experience or something that goes against intuitive usage of your tool. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, I'm yeah. getting a little bit too deep there, but no, I, there's, this opens up a lot of things. <laughs> of I've started to wonder. Yeah, yeah. And if this is an API that I'm assuming they're going to keep open so that other, it's not just VS code limited. That's right. an assumption, by the way, I don't actually know. I can see people writing front ends for your CLI. Imagine typing sudo space Docker, and then it just starts to try to compl- autocomplete the line. Where does it end? If the engine is looking at other behavior, I don't know how it would complete like command lines. Or, yeah, because the thing well, about the command lines, right? Or those .sh files that are just like exactly, all over the yeah. Place. Uh, those files are <laughs> commands, right? So if if it can yes. read those, then you would assume that it could help me at the command line. Which gets mm-hmm. me to my next example of <laughs> I hate regex only because I don't understand it. Obviously, it's very powerful and we all need it. But so in this example, I'm doing I'm using a YAML file in a workflow for GitHub Actions, which I've talked nonstop about lately. And what I'm trying to derive is the current branch I'm on inside of my action, which it doesn't give you an output value that always tells you what current branch you're on, which is weird. I find it weird. So what you have to do is you have to take something called, I'm actually going to use my screen painter. So this is the part I'm talking about right here. This is the line that I'm on. And the so the GitHub.ref is the value that they provide me inside of this machine runner that I want to get out. And then I want to set it to get the part of that value that I want. I was going to have to look, I was going to go to a said site and then type in what I, you know, and practice my set again to to get my regex. And it was a relatively simple one, but I'm horrible at it without any real other context other than maybe me describing it a little bit, a little better. Thank you. It correctly got that line on the first try, which I thought was a fairly advanced line. And the said, which I don't normally use says with hash, thank I normally use a forward slash. So I had to look up that even that was correct syntax, but it was, and it worked. And yeah. So I thought that was really interesting because it taught me something. And I'd see that in people commenting about it, even on their website, they've got a bunch of people saying things. This is what people say about Copilot. And one of them was, mm-hmm. it's teaching me stuff about my language I didn't know, which I think is fascinating as a way to learn. IntelliSense can often do that as well, but... IntelliSense wouldn't ever give me this line. So I think a combination of IntelliSense with something like this is very powerful. And I think that's probably where yeah. it's going. So that that's one way to learn a library or a programming language is to just brute force figure out what's going on through through that documentation through IntelliSense kind of yeah. tooling. Yeah, I can see an amalgamation of this stuff where it's... At, 
it's first suggesting the logic and then analyzing the logic to see if that's even going to work. Because I don't right. think the I'm just going to guess, I don't know if the machine learning model actually understands said syntax and regex and GitHub values. I'm just guessing that this was a line that someone else has in one of their workflows and they mm -hmm. knew it. Now, an example of how this fails is uh, not that one yet. That one's a whole, that, that one's a whole conversation, but Later in that file, I'm asking for an if statement. So this is an if on, if this value in GitHub actions is this, then let this thing happen, right? Mm -hmm. That value over here isn't even a real thing. That's not something that GitHub provides. So it's suggesting, and then, and that this is the part of the problem is if you don't know your language or you don't know your file or whatever, sure, it may be correct, but it also may be complete garbage and it won't work. And it's not going to know how to tell you the difference. So... This one, and I saw this, and I went down a rabbit hole. This actually wasted me time, because I went down a rabbit hole of going, wait, is github.pr a thing? Let me go look at the documentation. And I couldn't find it anywhere in the API. Then I went back. Then I did some Google searches and didn't barely found any results. So I don't know where it got that from. There's basically mm -hmm. six hits on the internet that have that exact value. So I don't know <laughs> what that is or how I got that. It is describing it correctly, because that's exactly what I want. I want the PR head ref but that's not a thing I can get. So it sometimes is super confusing and will take, will waste you as much time as you want to save on something else. Is it sending, I'm assuming as part of the tech preview that it's sending data back to Copilot, whether you accepted its solution or not? Yeah, I think, so I haven't seen documentation that says that exactly, but they do have this great little image that suggests that. That's a great question. That, that's the only way they would know whether it's yeah. So Im yeah, improve suggestions. Yes. So my guess is what that is because I don't know of any part in the interface that. And I read their getting started guide. It didn't say thumbs up things you like. There wasn't anything right. that in there. So my assumption is the improve suggestions, which is the arrow that's coming back. So it is getting from you the editor context. So I guess technically the thing right. you are sending it is either the readme or the beginning of your function with the function. So it is getting that and then it's providing the suggestion. And then I'm assuming this is like you're saying, I chose that su suggestion. So I'm giving it a thumbs up essentially. Yeah. And if you don't, if you keep typing and don't accept it, it probably sends that as well saying that wasn't right. Yeah. Maybe over time, if I, for a thousand times, if I chose Ubuntu 2004, maybe eventually would learn that that's the one it's, a, I don't know. <laughs> but, and I also don't think these things are unique. I don't think there's a, there, I mean, I know where have I read as it suggested that there is some sort of profile on me to, to get mine. There is no Brett learning. It's not, it doesn't have a Brett profile. To, to know right. how I like. So yeah. I, I'm assuming I'm going to keep getting the same old problems until a ton of people all together. And I'm excited. Imagine a million people doing this thing. How much input and learning it's going to be doing uh, and changing on it. What's weird is that y you could start relying on it and then it keeps changing on you <laughs> because it's learning well, so much. You would hope that it's learning so to be better, but you may not want that. I don't know. So, the, there, so that's the second keyword relying reliability yeah this isn't designed to, to completely be relied on in that sense yeah they mentioned that in here that it does not replace you it's still totally up to you it is empowering you with either gibberish or knowledge you didn't have 
It's Interesting. at least on Stack Overflow, because Helentine is mentioning this is, yeah, this is basically Stack Overflow. At least the Stack Overflow, you can derive from the thumbs up whether, whether that's and still working. Yeah. And if people, and if it's no longer working, people will start to comment on that. And we get none of that here. So it's a little blind. Yeah. One last weird, really odd result that kind of freaked me out. So this gets me into the conversation around private data and things that it should never suggest. API keys, or one of the things you can do is... Can you make a file with your an AWS key so file? Here we, like... Yeah, so here we go. If I go into variables and I say... Yeah, there we go. Oh, yeah. uh, oh okay. there we go. So that worked. That's how it's supposed to do it, not pre-fill it. But I have I had... Bet. Can you try the other solutions? Just go, go back and try so, it. Yeah, so hold on. This is fascinating. Oh, it's not... See, it was totally filling it in three days ago. Uh, it wasn't so my that, key. It wasn't my key. It was gibberish. So that that was. I think you probably were in a group of people figuring that out as well. I well, guarantee you, people are figuring, trying to figure that out right now too. Right? Yeah, like and the, if we do the your database password or your like, what's that PHP file? In uh, the file, right? Yeah, the PHP INI. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's only. So it's pretty smart here, right? For. I guarantee it, you, though, that's a that's a bespoke rule they put into the engine yeah so you know it was weird it's not giving me type here okay so i think what i was doing was maybe something a little less common than that so value let's see github and of course this thing is constantly learning and this is already <laughs> better this is already better yeah. so one of the things that they were saying and one of the replies to people that were asking about this was that it's so rare that it would ever do that out of open source because of the way that they've trained it, that what it's showing you is sample data. But you can't tell the difference. How would I know? So I can see someone creating something very quickly that would just let it randomly generate that stuff, hoping it's, it's wanting to see if it's random and then just trying them. Uh, basically a brute force attack. Gets or me to there, and it's not every language. So this is stuff that maybe is very common, but if you're using some kind of library that's not as common and no. there, yeah. It has to, yeah, I think, and you're right. Like the nice thing is that if you're, as long as you're in, and you're, when you're in open source, you tend to be using things that a lot of other people are using. So hopefully right. this is a very, they actually have an FAQ at the bottom. I highly recommend everyone look at that because it's super informative. Uh, and they talk about, it happens very rarely, but it does happen and it can happen that, but, so that's why it's risky, I think, for us to think, what if I do it on the rest of my code or the code that has access to my organization or whatever? Because then it has to understand security policy and con the context of do you have access to that yeah. data for it to learn on. That, that's just weird. One more one. This is the last one I got, which is pretty hilarious. So I'm writing a markdown file and it's actually sometimes helpful in the markdown file. I put in the, a, basically this is a list of me putting in markdown links to other projects for an open source project I created this week on something I did last week using Terraform. So I create a GitHub action runner from Terraform. I have an open source repo. We'll probably talk about it some other week. And I'm pointing to other popular repos that provide ways for you to run GitHub runners. I put in the first one and then it provides me a suggestion. So I hit tab and then enter. And then it provides another suggestion and I hit tab and then enter. And it keeps going and I'm like, I don't know if you can notice, but it's going down a weird rabbit hole of the names on this thing. It just keeps adding values. Are those are those legit links though? No. no. This person's name, I don't know if they, let me see if they actually exist. I don't think they actually existed. I know that the repo doesn't exist. 
<laughs> Mike. Farah. So, th- okay, this is, okay, this person exists. So it's making suggestions. And this is what, uh, this is a question. Is that sensitive information? Should it not be suggesting th- this real world person's? But at the same time, how many places in YAML files or other places are you actually referencing people's repos, right? Okay, That's yeah. legit. Yeah. Right? Like, but the weird thing is they have no, not, they don't have a single public repo with the word GitHub in it. So as a real person, real account, none of these repos are real, but it's now, if you commit that and then open source that repo and then the model gets trained, <laughs> does this just become self-reinforcing? This, of this, is this and, the Twitter bots of 2017 or whatever with Microsoft and yeah. Oh like, yeah. We're, we're not going to go down that path. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm, that's that, but this is the internet. That's what people will do. Let me generate a yes. bunch of data to see if I can, if I haven't, do I have enough power to change the engine on my own? I guess is a question. Correct. Or is that, it? That's wild. That's wild. Yeah. So I just kept hitting the answer, accepting. And then at some point I was like, wait a minute, are these repos real? Because I thought they were real. I was like, maybe this is suggesting me all the other things that are this thing. Maybe it's that smart. And it wasn't. It was complete garbage. Um, it looks AWS auto scaling is very popular though. <laughs> It's using all the words that I said in the document and then just giving mm-hmm. me back what it wants me, what I think I want to hear. Mm-hmm. It's, it's lying to me. And that's the weird part of this whole thing is. Is it just, though? Is it a lie? <laughs> it's fabricating URLs that don't exist. That's exactly what yeah, it's, it's fabricating that's, URLs. That's, that's creepy. A, that like, is very wild. But at the same time, so much, if you're doing this on Golang, you're going to have GitHub repos, right? In your. Right dependency graph and that's real yeah the weird thing is it it responds to comments so if you're doing a markdown file what is a comment in a markdown file to it is the whole thing a comment crazy <laughs> nothing <laughs> yeah links to other crazy other co-pilot pages so remember everybody if you see a gray if you see any gray text that is it suggesting inline in real time there <laughs> There we go. It's actually suggesting the copilot master read me. There we go. Is that a real link? Let me check. Oh, command <laughs> click. No, that is not a real file. It is a 404. I'm oh, sorry. People can't but see us. That but. might actually be an internal file. It, I, yeah. You know what? You're right. But maybe because they, they do give you when you get access, they do give you access to something called copilot. It's under it's slash GitHub slash copilot dash preview. But yeah, so this, this copilot itself. <laughs> this might be the internal. So if I go file. to github.com slash copilot. Oh, that's a person. <laughs> it's Aaron Wagner. Oh, um, that poor person. Yeah. And they do not oh. have a copilot named repo. So now they're going to. And this is where it just starts to go <laughs> off the rails. And But so. If you go around YouTube right now, this is the, the people are doing all this stuff all the time. But I think they all the ones I've seen so far, they're largely doing it in code. Maybe they're. And I have to activate it again. Breadfisher Docker nodes. No, that's not a real repo. So, the yeah, it's basically broken on links and Markdown stuff because that you would think that it would only suggest. But then but again, that, that would be a suggestion means, engine, and it's not. It says it's not a suge- It's not a snippet suggestion engine or whatever. It's an. It's a synthesizer. So you're actually proving that it is synthesizing things, and not just not giving me things that exist. It's giving me things that don't exist. Correct. 
So it is synthesizing. So exactly. Yes, it works. <laughs> We've just used it the wrong way. Yeah. Anyway. What a fascinating. I, I hope f- for me with Copilot, I hope it's not a red herring, right? I, I hope it's not no matter how much it gets trained, it will never be. It will never speed up anything. It will only be. 2x what it, whatever the time is for you to just do it anyway. And the other thing is, just for context, when this was announced and people started using it, there's a lot of questions around copyright, legality, you, what you were talking about, Brett, private information. Or, or or stealing from others. Yeah. Yeah. Or stealing code implementation. And there, there's a very potentially legally gray area for all, a lot of this. And then there's also originality, right? Like if you're using it to create things, do you actually own who owns what's created and all that kind of stuff? And we're not going to get into that. Yeah. I guess there's a thing on protecting originality, but I think those are all really big open questions, but it's interesting to me to, to I'm excited to see where those discussions go. The other part of this is I think it's, I think this highlights some of the potential issues with an no code, low code movement as well, where I think fundamentally it's still true that the, the higher you go in abstraction, the more limited the scope of what problems you can actually solve with that without breaking that it going deeper. And that's still the same case for Copilot, right? As much as it's helping you, it can just be sending you in the completely wrong direction. And yeah. at the same time, you'll have to spend the time to go deeper on anything that I suggest anyway. I love that. So, I love that you mentioned the low code thing too. Have you ever seen any of those videos where it's follow an expert programmer for a day? And I, mm. I, this was a year or two ago, at least that I watched this YouTube video. It's fantastic because for those that are trying to get into development, not specifically into DevOps, but just development in general, it was someone recording. Oh, I know. It was a, actually a friend of mine on Udemy that basically recorded their screen for a whole day. And then they were working on a client project and they showed as someone who's been in the biz for 10 years, how much they spent searching and stack overflowing. And like that's just that it doesn't ever stop. You don't get to a point in most careers nowadays no. where and we're not all just writing the same COBOL language for 10 years. That's just, no. and, and, and the, the, the versions don't ever... There was 30 or 40 years ago, there was a time where the only place you had to look up was in a book. And you and I, maybe just me, I was old enough that I, that was a very short amount of time where that was what I was doing. I had, had to go to Bar- Barnes & Noble to learn and go yeah. buy a book. And we're beyond that now. So no one developer can ex- be expected to know everything about their language. And he, sh- he proved that by showing how much of his time in a day was not actually writing, but actually searching for what he needed to write. And what's yeah. interesting to me is that in this... There's two aspects of it that I can see specifically for developers that it will be a very big advantage is that it will at least lower that, that percentage of how much you have to go look for something when you're not sure the right, the right part of that function that you need to add or how many values can you put into that, the options of that function or whatever. There's just a certain amount of that you can not have to spend Googling and it's right there in your code. You don't have to leave your editor. The other thing that I've seen it do that I haven't yet gotten into myself, but I've watched other YouTube videos is that it's pretty good at writing tests, very simple, small function tests. Mm -hmm. So we should, one of these things is you could argue that it doesn't really matter if your code isn't the way that someone else might write it, if their test pass and the function correctly executes. So if you can use it to help you write the function and then you can write it, help it write the test for that function and you're always writing tests, 
is there is there harm to this? Is there what if it's not using the latest spec? Because one of the problems I ran into is with my Terraform, it was suggesting me things that were legacy that were deprecated, mm-hmm. and I didn't know that until I because one of the problems was all the examples that it was learning from were all using the old pre Terraform yep. 1.0 way of doing things, and I stumbled onto an example that was using the new way that was actually easier, but it wasn't suggesting that. And I, I ran through the options again. It never suggested the new way because I guess that's so new that people aren't doing it yet. But I was essentially using the new version of a method and it was not helping me with that. It kept wanting to do the old way. So that's a problem too, is it's going to likely give you old stuff. Yeah. And and I wonder if there's some tweaking of the sources, maybe only the top 1000 GitHub repos or and and then only code that's less than four years old or something like that maybe there's some way to tweak right. the model and get rid of the long tail of oh, suggestions. Oh, that's an interesting. That's an interesting suggestion. So code that and, is dated this year gets more precedence. And then the other thing that would be interesting is if you just write tests and then let it write code to pass those tests. Yeah, I think will be an interesting. Oh, so reverse. It, it, Scenario. You write the test and then it writes the code and, and it's smart enough to look at the test. And that would all have to be in the same file, at least currently, because and it's it would file run limited. it against right. It would run it against a test. And once it gets code that passes that test, a genetic kind of way of coding, right? Evolutionary way of coding. That's gonna be those things are gonna be where this stuff gets really interesting. So does that round out your experience with Copilot um, so far and and where you think it's kind of going to go? Yeah. The thing is, like, it's it's a super early preview. I don't know how many people have access, mm-hmm. but it's it's can't be more than the thousands, I would assume, because they said mm-hmm. that before the technical preview it was only hundreds that they were, were using it. I'm really interested in what does it look in a year when tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands have used it. And when they mm-hmm. start, when it starts showing up in VS Code as, hey, you want, because there's tons of people using VS Code, but if it starts promoting itself in VS Code, because there's an incentive here, right? This is all mm-hmm. Microsoft. They're using their editor. It's their company. And then on their README, I just actually didn't realize this till today. It says, will there be a paid version? If the technical preview is successful, our plan is to build a commercial version of GitHub Copilot for the future. We want to use this preview to learn how people will use GitHub Copilot and what it takes to operate it at scale. So. I can imagine that maybe the paid version is what analyzes your own code. Maybe this, the version we're seeing now is maybe the free version for everyone that feeds their machine to, it feeds the data set that will be the paid version that then will also analyze your personal code or your organizational code. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm totally speculating here, but I could see how that would be an incentive for you to pay for mm-hmm. GitHub Enterprise or GitHub org, Orgs or whatever. So somebody, sorry, you, you talk for a second. I'm looking up the video. Someone in chat's asking yeah, no, for this video I, on a so I, developer. I agree. And by the way, I do want to see that video too. And I, I think, I, I also think that a path toward more combination with the IntelliSense and documentation to make it more of a training and an actual pair programming user exper- or developer experience versus maybe having a little bit more explanation of why it's it chose that code snippet or if you do accept that code snippet what it is or link to the documentation for that thing so that it would already anticipate your next step so if you do a code complete 
like you were saying, it's deprecated Terraform. Maybe it, it it gives you a link to the Terraform documentation so that you can validate what it just provided you. Because that's the next thing you would probably want to do. Yeah, and uh, if if you were it, being good about it. And the reality is, what a lot. I think that in my job as a DevOps person, I write a lot of the same stuff over and over, right? Mm-hmm. Infrastructure is infrastructure. I'm I'm creating EC2s. I'm creating all the scaling groups. I'm creating Google mm-hmm. Kubernetes clusters. And so that stuff is all in a repo that I have access to somewhere. And then, mm-hmm. so a lot of times what I'm end up doing is I'm not going to Stack Overflow. I'm going to my own old code and then copying and pasting it into my new stuff. And this seems a lot more efficient way than some sort of advanced snippets add-on because I don't know if you've been into oh, big yeah. into your own personal snippets, but I've yeah. never, I just, I so rarely do that stuff because whenever I try to implement it myself, it's changed six months later. I'm not doing that way yeah. anymore. Now I have to maintain, like the maintenance of my snippets is more than the advantage of my snippets. So, I didn't think about the, the snippets angle is like, that could be pretty powerful. Yeah. So if you're if, intelligently if you scanning it, all my stuff, like, yeah. Yeah. So if Copilot could auto-generate a point-in-time snippets library for you, That'd or if be it's, yeah, or if it's just simply suggesting based on what I've already written. So if it knows mm-hmm. my way, or this example with the Terraform of using the modern Terraform 1.0 way, if it was looking at my other code, it would hi- I would assume it would highlight or pr- prefer those suggestions over its own. And mm-hmm. then that's the thing is that there's no there's it, it's this endless there's endless possibility here. <laughs> yes. uh, I hope it's it does all the things. Though. Yeah, cool though, cool that they're trying it. Right. This is really pushing the developer experience into new areas for sure. Yeah. I yeah. Think. Especially on when GitHub tries something, it's kind of like when Google tries something in, in Gmail and they experiment. Mm-hmm. You and I were talking last week about how the Google, the Gmail autocomplete, this yes. feels a lot that where yes. I start typing, I forget that it's there. I start typing and then it, it autofills and I go, oh, that's right. I have this thing in the background. And then I read their statement. And then I think about it. Do I is that what I want to say? And then I tab or I don't tab. And that's very right. much the workflow of this. And the difference there, though, is that the Gmail one for sure is is my. It's based off of that person's writing style. Okay, I think. Okay, because the suggestions I've seen, I say y'all a lot, and my suggestions will have y'all in it, and it'll be the <laughs> way I phrase things. Right. Typically, whereas. I don't think that's turned on for Copilot yet. And to your point where I think eventually once it's released, likely you'll opt into a thing where it will scan your repos and then it will weigh, it'll, it'll show a preference toward what you have written in the past and then yeah. fill it in with whatever is in the global model. Right. Yeah, so. it's cer- it's certainly early days compared to I think to the Gmail one. So real quick to the previous conversation uh, on watching someone go throughout their day as a high paid senior engineer. This is over on Colt Steele's YouTube channel. I'll put the link in chat. Colt Steele has got like a million Udemy students, and I got to hang out with him at Udemy's conference a couple of times. Walk around San Francisco. Really cool guy, and makes great courses. I own at least one or two of them. And he did this thing where he paid or he had a friend and got permission from their client and them and everything. And he has great intro graphics and argues against the idea that somehow a senior engineer knows everything that they're writing. And so he goes through this. He basically breaks down some stats of what happened in this person's day and puts it into a nice visualization for 10 minutes. You're not literally watching this person, but yeah, 
And, and so the person's logging about what they did all day, and then he looks at the data of what they did. How many websites did they do? How many Google searches did they, did they do? How much code did they write? What were they writing? Yeah, so it's a really cool little breakdown. Even a senior engineer, how much time they spent on the internet looking up answers. So anyway, I put that in chat. Cold steel. steel so so they got the Google search history from that developer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think, I think he just recorded his screen too. But yeah, he also got did it. some, I think some analytics on the history. Um, and I, if I remember correctly, one of the days it was a rabbit hole kind of day where you just, I've had several of those recently where you thought you were going to spend an hour on something and then eight hours or seven hours, a whole day later, yeah. you're still banging your head against the wall trying to get a thing to do the thing. And... Yeah. Anyway, so it's a really good video. Let's both ask each other this as, as Docker captains. How many times do you pull up the Docker file documentation? <laughs> because they, is it, is it permanently tattooed on your arm? A crazy <laughs> lot. Yeah, I think for up until at least 2019 or 2020, it was permanent tab in my browser. That and Compose, right? Yes. I'd yep. say today, just because the change rate has really gone to almost zero mm -hmm. over the last two or three years. And because I'm probably editing files every week, that I've gotten super comfortable, but they, then there are going to be those times where like there's things, I don't know everything about a Docker file. I forgot about the maintainer line. I saw someone using it the other day. I was like, oh yeah, there's that maintainer line. I'd never use that. It's not, I know it all. It's just, I don't have to refer to it. What about you? Right. Same. I, I get the source and destination port flipped all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Especially due to <laughs> Kubernetes, right? Docker's makes and sense, doesn't. I don't <laughs> I have to look it up every freaking time <laughs> but i'm also not in it as much as you're in it for your job it helps but when you're you on. go on a two-week vacation you're gonna have that tab back up right oh sure and but <laughs> with terraform which i've used for years but yeah i will absolutely have to have every page of every provider up every time i'm using them yes uh, because yeah. i don't do i don't do it every week so and it also changes that stuff just yeah it'd be interesting to watch the velocity of changes over time for the interfaces and the APIs that we typically use. Cause yeah, that's very high. I think. <laughs> yeah. A separate conversation or a separate episode. We could talk about Kubernetes 1.22, which is due out next month and is going to have uh, a lot of APIs go away. And the one, one of the ways I know about how much Docker changes their spec and how much Kubernetes changes their spec or any of these tools is if I put mm -hmm. it in the course, because the minute that it doesn't work anymore, I have a student that, I mean, rightfully so, so they say, this doesn't work anymore. And I, that's kind of how I end up learning about deprecations and deletions firsthand is I write something about it and then people use it. Um, so is there some kind of Murphy's Law of, of course creators and, and trainers yourself? There's some kind yeah. of rule of the universe that the minute you put that into a course, that's the minute some engineer goes, I think I need to deprecate this API today. <laughs> it only gets deprecated based on the number of people that put it in a course. I would say that definitely the number of versions in the software in its entirety will are directly correlated to how much their API changes because it always slows down over time. And mm. Kubernetes was one of the reasons I delayed so much of my Kubernetes courses, putting them out was because I was, yeah. I knew that if I wrote a course, it would have to be completely rewritten at, at, in those early days. And it wasn't until 115, 114 that I started to consider it because it started to slow down a little bit. So if I was a consultant, I would use Copilot to find out what the majority versions of things are <laughs> and create content to like help migrate that to better versions of that yeah maybe <laughs> that's well, interesting and, and getting back to copilot the versions of things and all that it makes me wonder i'm now realizing we just did that docker example 
And I have and the Docker plugin, which I have enabled, it suggests in a different way. It suggests public re- public repos and versions of things by querying the API in the background. And I haven't been and I haven't been seeing that lately. So now I'm wondering if they're somehow stepping on each other's toes. Because I actually use uh, that. If I type in from Ubuntu colon, because like one of the things I like about Ubuntu is they will ver- date based version their releases, which I love. And mm. especially for production stuff, because I can rely mm. on them not accidentally updating some 2004 yeah. version. And it will provide, it queries the API and then provides the, the options. But I haven't been seeing that. And now I'm wondering if Copilot broke it. Maybe there's something in there I got to look at. That would be an interesting thing to turn that off and see what the differences are. Yeah. All right. What else? Anything else? Anyone else got questions about Copilot? <laughs> Mike's calling it Brett's Law. Brett's Law. Right, I'm going to start using it. <laughs> the number of courses I put something, which is the, my my biggest one is Kubernetes 118 when they got rid of, when they ch- completely changed the run command. Yeah, it broke every course I had Kubernetes in. Yeah. So get on the get on the beta if you want to try it out. Yeah. It's free. So I'm, I haven't gotten into the beta yet, but. Now, if I do get into the beta, I'll know what to do. Oh, sorry, not the beta, the technical preview. Technical preview. <laughs> so yeah, over at copilot.github.com, that's how you get started. David's asking if you did you try with Python? It's the best way to use it. I have not tried. I have actually not done any programming since it since I got access to it about a week and a half ago. I have been entirely in configuration files, so Docker files, Kubernetes files, Terraform files, readmes, make files. Yeah, I've been in that land, DevOps land, not in developer land. I would say it's probably going to be the best inside of programming languages, Node.js and Python and Ruby and Go, because they specifically list those on their site. And they and if you go looking around YouTube, you will see all sorts of other great developer channels demoing those. But nobody mm-hmm. was demoing DevOps stuff. So that's where I wanted to focus today on is the, the, non, the non-programming languages. More of that you can argue what YAML really is, the, the data languages. <laughs> Supposedly it's really good at SQL syntax, you know. I can imagine that, yeah. So David, what's your experience with Python? Put it in the chat. Yeah. How does it uh, work in with terms Pascal? Of, yeah. Oh, Die Spectre just redacted their message. In terms of creating attacks or being malicious, I, it depends on if it's actually learning from the user base. But at the same time, what Brett was showing with respect to API keys, I have a feeling if there's some common way or, or not so common ways, but just enough content around configuration files with secrets in them, that at some point it'll probably leak that data when it's not the top 50 typical ways of storing a configuration file, but it's still enough content in that way. So maybe an esoteric library or a language that's not as popular or a framework that's not as popular, it's probably going to start leaking those secrets, I would imagine. But the, the thing is, that means that those secrets are somewhere in the public open source GitHub repo world. Yeah. Well, and because it's not providing snippets, it actually, like it's Peloton asked, the major, one major advantage over Stack Overflow is that the suggestions are almost always from working code. But it, it's not a suggestion. It seems it would be better, but the reality is the code it's generating has never been tested. Unlike a Stack Overflow answer, which presumably the person would have run it or there wouldn't be so many thumbs up. So it's mm-hmm. weird that I, I actually started this conversation with arguing for this and against Stack Overflow, but I could probably argue with myself 
back and forth and on this topic and say that it's not as good as Stack Overflow. It's more convenient. It's way more. It's way easier than having to go through twenty different Stack Overflows and realizing that nineteen of them have nothing to do with your thing. But we proved several times today in the markdown and the fact that I got that example that had a GitHub value that doesn't even exist, that it's clearly not producing workable code. There's nothing that's testing this code. It's up to you to determine, is that even real code that would work? <laughs> yeah. So, so then you can't be a noob in your language and use it. You just can't. You would only be correct 50% of the time. Yeah. So now I can write my bugs even faster. That's right. That's right. But as long as you're testing... So here would be the fun thing is if it creates a test that's broken and it fails true to broken function that it wrote that doesn't work at all. <laughs> so it so the test passed on broken code because it wrote both. Is it possible? How how easy it is to do? I suppose it's possible. That would be an interesting test to try out. Yeah. I, I think there's tons of fun to be had with this. I encourage you all. We, have, we don't do a lot in the DevOps fan right up here. DevOps fan. This is our DevOps discord server now with i think we've got five thousand or so let me look at the latest stats how many people we got in here five thousand seven hundred members it's free you can come and hang out with us we've got channels on most devops topics and we don't specifically talk too much about code languages because there's a couple of other really big and really great discord servers including one called the coding den and then, of course, if you're language specific, if your language is with Google or Microsoft languages, they have their own Discord servers. But if I just go to devops.fan, I can get in there. I'm going to put the browser. So I encourage you all. We actually have in here. Oh, it's wanting me to sign up and I haven't logged in. So I'm not going to do that here. But th we have channels in there where if, if people are more interested in this topic, we can actually create a whole channel on Copilot and talk about it. Maybe just an AI channel. But then again, I could see how Copilot could be the entire topic of AI because AI in general is a little too general for this. But as, as more of you get into the beta, I'm sorry, technical preview, I would, I would love to see feedback and examples, people jumping into one of the audio channels and sharing their screen and showing off what they're doing with it. Because I'm sure there are more useful ways to use this for DevOps workflows. And I haven't quite figured them all out yet because I've only had it for a, a week. You know? <laughs> well, I can't wait to be accepted for the tech preview and try it out for myself. But I, I feel I'm neutral on it. I think it's kind of too early to tell whether it's actually useful or not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it. I would say in the week of me using it for primarily Terraform Markdown, Kubernetes and Docker, and maybe a, some shell scripting, so some bash stuff and some GitHub Actions YAML markdown. Uh, so a lot of YAML and a lot of HCL. I would say that it definitely saved me keystrokes. I don't know if it saved me time. There we go. Yeah. That's a tweet. That's, it definitely saves me keystrokes. <laughs> writing descriptions, it's great at. In YAML and HCL, writing descriptions, writing, providing me default value things, it's great at. But providing, but when it provides me the entire YAML of markdown for sorry, not YAML of a manifest for Kubernetes, I still have to look at that thing, understand the entire thing it gave me, make sure that I think it's right, and still have to like validate it myself. And that takes is just almost as much time as writing it sometimes. So yeah. Yeah. that's a tweet. I'll send that tweet out later. There we go. All right. And if we don't have any other questions, let me check real quick. I think we've, beat, we've, we've uh, gone through this topic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now just everybody needs to get access so we can have another conversation about it where I'm not the only one showing it off. Yeah, for sure. Um, oh, and next time we, we can try the live. I don't know if that's going to work. Oh, yeah, share. yeah. The live, the live share. 
Yeah. I think that's, is that you part know, of you workspaces know, uh, or workspace? You mean code spaces? Not, that's not, oh yeah. So that's not part of code spaces. That's two, separate. two separate features. Yeah. Live share yeah. and remoting is a different feature, which allows you to work on other th- things that aren't on your machine. So one of the things that, what, what I'm interested in is when you get access, if we're both sh- sharing a live share of the same repo, are we both seeing the same suggestions? Okay. We'll definitely that, test that I think that's that a way more interesting, yeah. And maybe you're sharing your screen and I'm sharing my screen. And are we seeing the same thing at the same time? I would presume so, that it does because it's not user specific, but. So who's going to be the first person to submit code Copilot to do to use Copilot in a hackathon? Oh, you mean to make something new that didn't exist in yeah, the world like, from code? Just like, yeah. Yeah, because it's so it's pretty good on comments, and it's directly as we've seen today. It's directly related to how good your comment is. So if you're writing great comments, I don't. How far could you get to a functioning app that's not just a hello world app, but a functioning app? How far could you get there by never writing code, not writing a single function yourself? You only are describing the functions, and then tabbing through the options and then accepting it. Can you create a Twitter clone? by just using AI generated stuff, synthetic. I I like it. That's a good challenge. That's a good challenge. That is a good challenge. We'll put that out in the world. (laughs) If one of you all want to want to try that challenge, once you get access, let us know. And we may highlight your video in this, in this live show. All right. Thank you, Nermal. I'm not trying to kick you out, but I'm definitely going to have you on again. What are you doing next week? I mean, I I could be here again. No problem. All right. Let's see if we can make it happen. We'll talk about something else. And it's always great to chat with you and I can't wait to see you in the real world and real world hug, high five and all those things. And uh, for all of those you hanging around for this full hour and a half show about Copilot, I really appreciate you for hanging out and thumbs up, do the likes, follow thumbs up, do all that stuff to help us with the algorithms. Other people can check out DevOps. I think this is the first time that we've had, there's, I haven't seen any other YouTube videos on DevOps and Copilot. So hopefully we're breaking new ground here. And we will be back here live next week, maybe with Nermal, if we're lucky. Thank you, Brett. And I hope you never replace me with Copilot <laughs> when I'm co-piloting with you on your YouTube live wait, show. Wait, hold on. The robots have taken over. And, yeah, Normal False is the name of this, this robot that I'm spending time <laughs> Am with Am I today. real? Good Perfect. jokes. Good jokes. All right. Thanks, man. I'll see you soon. Bye, Internet. See you we'll later. see you next week. Bye. Same time. Bye.